Cappuccino number five. Uh, guest <coughs> today is Sergeant Rona Stace, po- poet, prosecuting sergeant, cop, uh, both a blue sister and once upon a time a blue brother, uh, LTGBQIA superhero, and also a gentleman and a lady. I had to do that, I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> So, my great privilege to introduce Sergeant Rona Stace. Uh, thank you for joining us on the Cappuccino. My pleasure. Introduce yourself like you introduced yourself before. Uh, right. So, uh, I've been in the police 23 years, as you mentioned. Um, good, uh, good length of service in all of uh, general duties, criminal investigation and traffic safety branches, which has been very interesting. Um, six years in youth education at one point, probably the most worthwhile thing I've done in the police, I think. Um, and about seven or eight years now as a prosecutor in one form or other. Um, I'm a parent. I have two teenagers and, um, active member of my local Anglican church. I've got a handful of chickens and a couple of cats and a pet goat called Nibbler. Um, and I write poetry, as you mentioned, as a spare time thing, and I just happen to be transgender. Boom. So, as we do always on the cappuccino, the first, and I know that you know, because I've, I know that you listen, um, the icebreaker round. So here we go. If you were a pro wrestler, what would your entrance song be? Oh, that's easy. Um, I am what I am by Gloria Gaynor. Bless. <laughs> the current wallpaper on your phone is? Uh, my kids. Obvious. Kids and pets. Beautiful. <laughs> Best scar story. Best scar story. Oh, no, none of my scar stories are are really any good. They all relate to doing something silly that I probably shouldn't um, repeat. <laughs> Beautiful. Right. <laughs> if you could eliminate one thing from your daily routine, what would it be? Uh, oh, same as Inspector Biggs, actually, from your previous podcast. Right, yeah. Yep. Yeah, okay. shaving. Bless, yeah. yep. I don't think a lot of people realise what a curse no, uh, that is. That's no. probably probably one of the big things for yeah. transgender women is actually getting rid of that bloody facial hair and it it takes a long time and we're still working on that one. Five for dinner. Who are the other four? Oh geez. Um mm, What, I'm assuming I'm one of them? Yeah, I am. Yeah, so the other four are. Oh, yeah. you, of course. Yeah, bless. Yeah, 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 yeah. We're down to three now. Yeah, yeah. yeah. good. Now down to three. Yeah. Um, um, Anybody you want from history or anything else like that? Uh, um, no, there's too many. Okay. I couldn't. I couldn't limit it to four. All right. I'd have a bigger party than that. I'd All have good. lots of people. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, now... Part of the cappuccino is it's part of a, a blue family, and that I've always said, and I've worked with people from different races and different creeds and different religions and cultural groups and everything else. Is it really is a familyhood of blue? Um, we are we are what we are, I guess. Um, where we record the cappuccino is in the inside of the police car, yep. and in that police car, as you well know, because you've been in longer than I have, there are all sorts of questions and answers to a lot of awkward, uncomfortable questions, um, The more so than in the muster room, uh, because it's just basically two people talking to one another, so uh, with this, my big thing is, um, people always say, oh yeah, you've got to respect other people's wishes, I'm like, yes you have, you, you definitely have got to respect other people's wishes, and you do have to accept the differences, but you also have to understand, 
Um, so hopefully two people talking in the uh, car today is going to make a lot of people understand and also accept a lot of differences for me. Mm. Uh, you'll hear me referring to, because it's the story I know best about chen- transgenderism, mm-hmm. uh, about <laughs> Chief Kristen Beck, uh, who mm-hmm. if you haven't seen the movie, Lady Valor, I suggest you go and get it. But first question is, and it's the one I always get asked, uh, and you and I both worked on LGBTIQA groups, what the hell are all those initials for? And <laughs> what do you call yourself? Because honestly, yeah. Yeah, yeah well, I'm, I'm, um, I'm, I'm not uh, particularly uh, politically correct. I don't, I don't, no, so I'm not bragging about it. I mean, it's just a fact of the matter that I'm a product yeah. of my generation. I often say, uh, no one put me in the closet. I put myself there. Yeah. Um, you make the decisions you make based on uh, how you understand the world to be, um, and you kind of choose from the options that you're aware of at the time. So I am, in some regards, a little bit old school, but I think that actually helps me to communicate um, with my peers about this type of thing because I'm not coming at it from a you should know this, this is how it must be perspective. It's more a case of I've actually been learning yeah, stuff yeah, as yeah. we go along. Yeah. So it's really only since I came out um, that I've gotten involved with the LGBTIAXYZ, whatever many we're up to now, yeah. um, community, um, and been learning all of that stuff myself. So it's actually been quite helpful, um, I've found, to as an approach to actually demystify a lot of that exact stuff that you're talking about for people who might be from, you know, from my generation who are well-meaning and interested and, and would like to know um, what, the, what the right thing is, but maybe are a bit flummoxed by some of the stuff they hear. So the acronym thing um, grew out of the original gay rights movement when it was a lot simpler. And, and I think the next one to be added was the B. So it was sort of GLB. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, people became aware that uh, trans rights needed to be addressed. And then, uh, of course, that, that meant recognition for intersex people. And since then, they've kind of been a lot of, it sort of settled down to LGBTI for a while. But then it's kind of, as the, um, as the uh, extent of gender identity and sexual orientation um, has kind of expanded that awareness, more and more labels have been added. And so the acronym has kind of um, varied a little bit at the end there. I think I think sort of more commonly it's LGBTI plus these days, but yeah. there's been a cue in there for queer or yeah. questioning. Um, my point really, I think, to people out there who, like me, were of a different age and trying to get to grips with it is actually not to get too fussed about the acronyms. Yeah. Um, the bottom line is, um, while they're uh, becoming these increasingly more f- defined um, uh, t- um, labels for particular aspects of uh, this part of being human, um, and while there are a number of people, particularly the younger ones, who are adopting those particular labels for themselves, um, I think the main thing to remember is that what we're actually just trying to communicate is that human beings have always done and do express themselves in a huge variety of different ways. Historically, we've 
uh, tended to pigeonhole people into a limited number of boxes. We're now realising that's not actually uh, an accurate reflection of how the population works. So um, it's really just a case of being aware that some people in society may not identify themselves as being strictly traditionally heterosexual or male or female. And if that appears to be the case, just kind of be aware of that and um, be uh, be a bit sensitive to that. Yeah. And if, if in doubt, you know, ask. And if you don't understand the exact terminology, uh, a polite and genuine um, expression of interest and understanding will go a long way. Yeah, uh, like I've got friends of mine who are gay and they actually, when you say, oh, will you refer to them as being gay? They say, don't call me gay. That's just one aspect of my person. Yeah. yeah so yeah. you're right. You're exactly yes. right. I, I have a few girlfriends who don't like the L word. Yep. Oh, look, and that was an eye-opener to me. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, never thought of that. Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah. fair enough. And yeah. I guess that's the other thing to kind of explain as well. From what I've read and from what I've seen and everything else is, um, this isn't sort of the oracle of the rainbow spectrum today for this podcast. It's just two people having a conversation about it. So I know that your journey is a journey of self-discovery. Everybody else's journey of self-discovery is a different journey it's yep. not ever going to be the same um, but hopefully if you're listening uh you might get a few hints you'll get yeah. a better understanding that's exactly to yep. me what it's about yep. so when did you realize because some people realize say that they realize from birth yeah. some people say when i was a toddler i was playing with all the girls stuff or i was playing with the boys stuff and i kind of realized then um, there's been other people like uh, Chief Beck, who was in the Navy SEALs for 20 years, got caught wearing women's underwear by one of his teammates who suggested he should never do that again, otherwise he'd be out of the Navy. And then when he left the Navy SEALs, went, actually, guys, I've been living a lie. I've been trying to man this out, but it's not working for me. Yeah. Boom. Yeah, so for me, um, I don't think anyone knows from birth. <laughs> yeah, no, well, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What what happens is that as a child develops um, in utero, yeah, there is a a breakdown and a very very. Com- I don't think people appreciate what a wonderful, amazing, complex process it is growing a complete human being. Yeah, and there are any number of things that can and naturally do go wrong in that process. When I say wrong, perhaps not quite according to plan is the better answer, the better way to put it. Uh, and with trans people at this stage, they, they don't entirely know why yet, but they're pretty confident that there's a, in the point where the body is forming, there's a miscommunication between, you know, basically the brain and the body bits about whether they're making a boy or a girl. Then, um, when a child's growing, there will be a point, uh, at a pre, at a point in their preschool age where their, their cognitive development reaches a point where they become aware of gender difference and for a lot of transgender people that is the point where they go hang on a minute (laughs) hey no way this isn't right you know it's a very very strong feeling from the very first moment that they uh, are able to be aware of gender and if it's that strong and they're in the right environment they will express that in those terms there's no uncertain terms, that's who they are. And thank goodness, increasingly in modern society, parents are better equipped than ever to be able to react to that by going, oh, hang on a minute, we need some advice here and actually deal with that for what it is, yep. rather than suppressing it, which is 
historically what's happened. Um, for some other of us though, because it's, you know, human beings, it depends on personality type and a whole lot of other factors. There's nothing really black and white simple about any of this. Um, whether those feelings of disconnection were not quite as strong, maybe things were sort of only partially mixed up, I don't know. Um, or maybe the, you know, personality wise, they, they responded to those feelings in a different way. They may just keep those feelings to themselves without uh, sometimes actually being overtly suppressed by somebody else, but they might also just actually suppress that themselves. So that's what happened with me. At a very young age, I realised I had certain feelings about girls' stuff as opposed to boys' stuff, but although I, at that stage I didn't understand what it was, I instinctively knew that was an area of danger, yeah. and I promptly suppressed that for myself. And I was aware I was doing that. And then even when I got old enough to actually understand more about what was going on in my own head about those things, I'd already made up my mind that the physical evidence was there, so I better, um, as, you, as you mentioned, just man it out. Yeah. And I tried to do that. Yeah. Uh, not only the wrong thing to do, um, but very destructive, not only for the individual, um, but for everyone around you, because no, we're not, no one of us is an island. No. Anything that affects you um, affects the people around you. And eventually just got to the point where I realised that um, even though there was going to be a bit of pain involved, um, the right thing to do was actually to stop doing that and face up to what was really going on with me and deal with it. And that came much later in life as a result of a bit of a crisis that kind of, you know, I think um, broke through my bloody minded determination to just get older man it out yeah 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 <laughs> which brings us on to when you decide that you're going to transition how do you with your family it's private so i'm not mm-hmm. but how do you explain that to your workmates or to your supervisor because it's not like coming in and saying hey boss i'm going to be off for a couple of days and by the way i've got a cold yeah yeah you know, it's like so how do you how do you how did how did you broach the subject well, the first thing I would actually say on that topic is you've got to wind the clock back from the coming out moment yeah. to the decision making around what you're going to do. So I did my homework, even though I'd pretty much figured out for myself who I was and where this was going to have to end up. I went right back to square one and I did the work with a professional counsellor and worked through all the issues. And I'd done all of that before I started coming out to people. Um, or done, it, it was progressive depending on who I came out to. Um, I actually came out, uh, to the welfare officer at work and, um, and to my immediate boss quite early in the piece. And, um, then, um, but, but carried on the work. So really by the time I came out to, uh, my colleagues at work and a couple of other critical people in my life, I'd actually, taking care of getting most of the answers sorted out yeah and for some like i mean you obviously have well researched what you were doing yeah where you were going with it and everything else for some uh, from what i've read it just seems to be like this myriad of confusion where do i go who do i see yeah uh who did you go and see for advice well a gp yeah first and foremost yeah and um i found um there was a gp at my practice 
who uh, actually had experience was identified as a trans-friendly GP. Yeah. So I just transferred over to him. So, and Sarah Lerajada, of course, yeah, who's yeah. been through the police, she became my mentor yeah. through that from early on. The point being is, by the time I came to come out to my colleagues, I had the answers. Yeah. Um, because people need answers yeah. when you come out to them about something like this. So I'd sorted the confusion, had the answers. The time was right. Uh, for a variety of reasons, we just identified the time as being right. It had to be now, and it really couldn't be later. Um, I came into a when I, be, I was on leave, but I came into a Wednesday morning uh, meeting, and I and Ro, Robin Lorenzen, the welfare officer, came with me, and I simply came out to my work group and told them what was going on with me and what would be happening, and uh, then said uh, any questions, and um, uh, that was uh, that was one of those moments. Um, colleague of mine I won't name him now he probably doesn't mind but um, God bless him for this um, without missing a beat his first question was do we still get the eggs because <laughs> you see I I was keeping chickens and I was bringing the extra eggs into work yeah. and uh, and we're just all cracked up yeah. and I think that sort of sums it up right there it's like uh, that told me uh, the message that I've received since then is that you know, far as we're concerned, business as usual. You do what you've got to do, and um, that was that was the best thing ever. And I do have to say, and I'm just going to add this as a side note: still one of my proudest moments as a police officer because I hear, uh, and you'll be like I am. You sit in the training days as an older police officer. I'm not going to say <laughs> ma- I'm not going to say mature, uh, and I'll talk about today's police officer being more uh, educated and more accepting and everything else but when you told me that you had received no bullying no harassment no uh there was no name calling or anything else i have to say that was one of the a really proud member for me as a moment as as a police member that you know you've done this amazing thing and yet nobody's yeah. yeah, everybody's talking the talk. Yeah, me too. Like yeah. I, I, this, you know, all the way along through this process, each thing you come to, there's a, there's a risk involved, and it's scary. But I'd reached the point where I knew I had to do it, uh, and I had faith in my colleagues to look after me. Yeah, they repaid that a hundredfold because actually they, despite the fact I expected they'd be decent about it, they actually exceeded that. They're, they've been incredibly supportive. In fact, I'd. So I'd characterise the responses, you know, if I had to characterise it in one word, it would be love, which yeah. is an unusual yeah. thing to say about um, your work group, never mind um, given people's preconceptions yeah, about exactly. prejudices yeah. about yeah. the police. Yeah. Um, and um, I know there will be people who've got some different opinions, um, but they've at least been professional enough not to express them. Yeah. So all in all, yes, incredibly uh, I'm prou- proud of my brothers and sisters in the police. And actually one of the best bits of feedback I had when I did the 10-1 story, um, which surprised me, I expected the sort of the you're so brave stuff and all of that sort of thing. Um, but one of the, the one that surprised me uh, and, and humbled me a bit and actually made me realise I was doing the right thing was a number of people who said something along the lines of hearing my story made them really proud to belong to the police. And I thought, oh, wow, I hadn't Mm. really thought I would have that impact. But if it has had that impact, then 
Well, it was definitely worth doing. Yeah, right? well, yeah, it's sort of, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I do have to say, I was, I, it's probably one of my proudest moments as a police officer to hear you saying that you hadn't received any bullying, harassment, or any treatment. I was just like, yeah. wow, that's amazing. Uh, yeah. Really, uh, I know we very often talk about it and you hear about it from overseas and everything else. They talk about the blue family and blue blood and everything else, but yeah, what do you know? Um, transitioning is a lot more than just the physical act of doing what you did. Yeah. There's also a lot of emotions obviously going on there as well. The mental effects that were going on when you uh, went and did your um, surgery. Yeah. And everything else. You're on the plane, you're going to Thailand. Yeah. you got to be crapping yourself, haven't you? Well, um... I mean, I know you've done the research, but... Yeah, it's it's one of those things. By the time I actually got on the plane to go to Thailand, um, you know, that was just one more step in many ways. Yeah. It was a big one, yeah. but it certainly... Um, you know, living um, as a trans person in the closet is a horrible, horrible way to live. So there's a kind of... There's a do-or-die element to it when it gets to that point. Um the uh i had um I, I had fortunately dealt with a lot of the psychological stuff i think it's actually a bigger fight and a bigger issue to get through all the psychological stuff when it comes to actually facing up to gender identity disorder and then doing something about it um that's it overall is the toughest part the physical part by comparison although it's pretty drastic yep. is um is actually pretty easy but um i'd actually uh, and I made a bit of a mistake in this regard, but I'd got solely focused on getting to Thailand. I had literally no game plan beyond that point. Mm -hmm. And that came back to bite me in the bum later when I got back because I hadn't sort of prepared um, for, you know, dealing with the post-operative healing and reintegrating back into normal life and stuff so that did end up messing with my head quite a bit yeah um so but um by the time i was actually getting on the plane actually relatively calm you know it was um what will be will be kind of stuff um but i uh i had really not given any thought to what i was letting myself in for <laughs> one of the best quotes i've seen from you and i love it because it's i think it's quite true as well is genitals matter less than the quality of the relationship do you want to elaborate on that because yeah, to I, me that's a no-brainer i think i think that might have been a slightly slight rewording and when it got to print form of something <laughs> that i um something that i've said a number of times too though but it's um, one of the things i realized along the way um well that i have come to realize in a variety of situations through a lot of stuff I've been exposed to in recent times, not just in relation to my own situation, but where I've seen the situation of gay couples and uh, the issue of parents uh, raising children who may not be your traditional mum and dad model. Um, and now I've come to realise that um, what's actually more important in a relationship is the qualities of that relationship, that it's a loving, caring, supporting, healthy, nurturing relationship and the exact gender identity or sexual orientation of the parties involved in that relationship actually uh, doesn't matter and and from there when it comes to the environment you want to be raising a child in you want a child raised 
in a relationship that has those qualities because that's a good that's a good nurturing environment yep. to raise a child in and it actually matters less who the uh, particular parents are uh, what matters is that they have that that safe nurturing environment of that safe loving relationship to raise that child within yep. which is something I'd never really got my head around before in my life um, and you know as a cop you know as much as I do you go to plenty of plenty of relationships between so-called normal people that are incredibly toxic and that are producing kids who have um, entirely messed up as a result. So I just think that, and I think society's sort of going this way, actually starting to think more about, you know, um, what's more important is that you're a good person, you do a good job of whatever you do, and when it comes to relationships, that that relationship has those beautiful, important qualities to it that's what we want to be promoting in our society for a healthy society and who the people are involved in that relationship doesn't really matter yeah and that's one of the things that i've heard quite a bit from some of the transgender transition books i've read and some of the people i know that are transgender they've literally said hey look just let me live my life at the end of the day that's that's the only thing i ask of you i don't if you don't want to accept me as who I am, then that's your decision. Mm. But let me live my life without any interference from you. Would that be right? Yeah, it's kind of, um, I think, well, people people hate what they uh, what they fear. Yeah. Uh, and they fear what they don't know. Yeah. And so I think the reality is, uh, like any other issue in our society, traditionally people have had a bit of an axe to grind with trans people because they don't understand the answer to that is education and awareness raising you get rid of the they understand what it's all about oh hang on a minute you're not actually a threat i'm not afraid of you i'm not going to hate you and we can all get on so that's kind of the process that's going on in the very general terms yeah (laughs) um and and i think um we've always been there but we've been pushed to the back um now i used to sort of say we're not we're not asking you to change the world. We're just asking you to move aside and make a little space for us yeah. to take our place with you in the sun. But actually, I, I go a step further now and I say, actually, um, that is our place in the sun. It's just that we've been denied it by certain individuals. So perhaps the rest of you guys could just be aware of that. And um, anyone who's you know, actually getting in the way of a trans person having that same basic right to just actually enjoy the sunshine and, and and have a life to just basically have what everyone else takes for granted you know just just be there to move those people out of the way so that they you know everyone gets a fair go basically that's all we want just a fair go well exactly and yeah. i read somewhere that you said you would have come out earlier um, if you'd been more awake to your limitations yeah God, I've said a lot of stuff. You have, haven't you? Have you are just a media star. You yeah. have to remember what the hell that one was about. Yeah. Um, I think... Um, um, I don't know about limitations. Um, and I don't actually know that I would have come out earlier. Um, I think everyone, had, at the end of the day, um, things happen when it's right for them to happen in their particular case. I think if I'd known more about this... Um, 
I would have potentially come out earlier. But against that, you have to factor that I was that you know when you go back in time, you're talking about a different society uh-huh. that you're coming out into, as well. So um, if I'd known what I know now, um, certainly it would have been um, much more preferable to come out at a much younger age and avoid a lot of the crap that I've you know um, created for myself and for others. To be fair, um, by persisting with the bullshit, um, but at the same time. I wouldn't have done the things I'd done and I wouldn't be the person I am today. So you kind of have to, yeah. you kind of just have to weigh that up. And I read after you did your transition that you had thought about wanting to destroy your photos as a male. And then, and I quote, it occurred to me it would be swapping one secret life for another, which would be a bit of a bugger because I'm kind of really over my secrets. Yeah, I did say that. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> I yeah. do remember that. I got one right, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, um, you got to remember that... Um, Stuff that gets reported in the media is um, been repackaged by the person that listened to it and then wrote it down for a story. So, um, and, and that's okay because the gist of it gets yep. through. But that one is, yeah, that one's a de- direct quote. Yeah, um, yeah, well, it was part of the growth process. I mean, I went through a, I went through a period um, where you know I really just wanted to reject and forget about and block all the, every male aspect of my life. And the problem is that means putting your whole life mm. in a box mm-hmm. and not having that. And it was actually after I came back from Thailand, um, my mum my had been doing some digging up of some family photos and getting them organised on the computer. And I had, had my parents and a girlfriend over for dinner and... Um, and we started going through those family photos and I realised, hey, this is great. I no longer hate this part of myself. I can embrace it. And that means I don't get to lose my past. Yeah. So so I can actually, I've actually reached a place where I'm comfortable with saying, you know what? It's just a fact of life. I was a bloke. Now I'm a chick. End of story. Life goes on. Yeah. Whereas that, you know, there was a time when I couldn't have actually dealt with that I just wouldn't have wanted to see any of that and and I've kind of not only come to accept it but now come to embrace it it's and it's all part of that process of evolution that you have to go through it's not easy and it takes time and I guess the and you've spoken about your family there and they've obviously embraced your transition and which is great because lots of people don't get that they just get isolated and that's the end of it would that be yeah yeah Um, yeah so it's not been easy for my family no I'm not I'm not 100% sure to what extent in each individual case you could say they've necessarily embraced it. Right, yeah. Um, but they have been very loving and very supportive all the way through. And you can't ask it for No, any more that's that, right. And they certainly haven't done what unfortunately does happen to a lot of trans people uh, where they, they actually do get cut off or disowned, which is bloody tragic. Yeah, and which brings me on to the example of Chief Beck. Uh, did... Uh, his sort of he came out, and his kids basically cut him off and went. Yeah. That's the end of it. We're done. Yeah. Um, that hasn't happened with you and your kids. No, no, quite the opposite. Um, there are still some limits around uh, what I can and can't be involved in because they're still just a bit worried about what their yeah um, what their peers might say. Mm-hmm. Um, but they've made it very clear to me that they're um, they're happy to be with me and uh, and. They're okay with who I am now. They've actually acknowledged that I'm a much more fun person to be around. Gold. Um, 
You know, it's not to say there's not still difficulties for them. No. Um, but given what could have been a, a horrendous uh, mess, I think it's fair enough to say we're in pretty good shape. And, and, and I love my kids and they love me and we love being together. So that's that's the best result you can hope for. They still call me dad. There we go. That's the question I was going to ask you. Yeah, because um, I, I gave uh, them that one. I, yeah. said, I I just didn't. I know a lot of trans people, you know, really want their kids to call them mum and stuff like that. But uh, it might be the pragmatist in me. But yeah. I just, I just sort of thought, well, they've got a mum first and foremost. Yeah. Um, and for them, you know, switching it around from my perspective to their perspective, I've always been their dad. So I just decided maybe it, for me, and I'm not saying this is the way. No. Anyone else should do it, but just for me, it felt it felt right for me to actually say to them, "You know what? I'm your dad. Um, it, you know, I'll just have to deal with that." And uh, so life goes on. So, on a scale of one to ten, because I know that you had some issues, like everybody does when they have their gender reassignment surgery, with infections and God knows what else, and look. I you think, read about that too, eh? I've, yeah. I've been reading, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I don't want people to think I'm uneducated. Um, he can read. Yeah, yeah, I can read, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> the a 10 being absolutely worth it. Uh, I'm living the life. This is fantastic. A 1 being it's probably the worst mistake I've ever made in my life. Where are you sitting on the scale? Yeah, well, interesting point because... I know, uh, I know that that scale will be sliding. That scale has been sliding up and down all the way through the process, yep. even post surgery, yep. and it and that scale will slide. Um, but over and all, it keeps the scale keeps has kept climbing. It's dipped and climbed and dipped and climbed. But the overall trend is um, get. Yeah, I I think I'm getting pretty close to a ten. Gold. Yeah. Love that. Now, you know, when you weigh it all up and eventually you just, well, for, a, for the last few months, I've actually been going through a phase where I've kind of been pinching myself and going, oh my God, you've made it. Yeah. You know, just stop and think about that. You've, you're here. Yeah. And um, it takes a while to adjust to. And I think it's that adjustment that is why the scale slides. And the other thing is, I mean, you've become a bit of a media superstar for one of some better words. No, I, I guess. haven't. You have, because you've become, <laughs> you've become this poster girl for trans transgenderism you're you've been nominated for an lgbtiq award correct yeah as a hero true. Yep. yeah uh you've been in uh stuff you've been you popped up in various publications you've had a front cover for the police magazine for goodness yeah. sake yeah um do you find that pressure every now and then just you just want to close the doors and just say, actually, bugger off, just leave me alone? Well, no, actually, because one, I'm not a superstar. I've been very careful about where I have stuck yep. my head above the parapets. Yeah. Has been uh, two relics around there, out there that I that I do exist. And, um, and so the pressure's really not huge at all. And I also made the decision a while ago, um, well, way back early in the piece, like I said, if I'm asked, I'll step up. Yep. I think the, Nate, the unique position I'm in sort of makes it you know, a case of, you know, it'd be rude not to. Um, so I got my head around that, and that's fine. And um, so far, it's actually all been quite positive. In fact, um, you know, when you do training sessions in front of, over, over five training sessions, you actually get to talk in front of the entire staff of Counties Manukau. Yep. And then you come to visit Counties Manukau Station and say, oh, hi, Sarge, good to see you. Yep. Like, you know, 
what, what can we do for you? That's actually pretty cool. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. On the flip side, I have to behave myself yeah, because right. uh, I was uh, standing on the side of the road outside the kebab shop in K Road one night at 2 o'clock in the morning and I uh, hear a voice say, oh, are you Rona? And I look around and there's three cops there from the alcohol harm unit said she recognized you from the 10-1 I thought geez it's a good thing I'm behaving myself, oh, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. so I, I am aware that I'm a role model yeah um, whether I like it or not yeah well geez I'm a supervisor so I bloody should be yeah um and, and you're a cop let's be honest as well yeah they had a cop yeah, yeah. that's something I've always been conscious of and I think um it's just a actually it's a natural extension of being a cop and a senior member of police just to to, to accept the fact that you're a role model and I've also come to realise, um, you know, that my role in the whole scheme of things, while there are people who are working on changing procedural stuff within the police, which, you know, people like Tracy Phillips are working away on, which is really cool. And there are other people maybe who are going and holding banners and doing protests and things like that. And there's people who belong to support groups and all of that kind of work. It seems to me uh, I've come to sort of realise that my job is actually just to um, be the best I can be at being me and what I do, and that's how I can actually contribute the most to to the whole process of raising awareness and acceptance and all of that sort of thing. So that's really what I've um, been focusing on more, just being a, a bloody good cop, a bloody good person, a bloody good prosecutor. All things people have said to me, yep. by the way, I'm not blowing my own I Oh, no, you're not. You're definitely not. And I've <laughs> it's, as one of my colleagues said, as one of my colleagues said, he said, you know what? As far as we're concerned, you're a good bastard then, you're a good bitch now. Yeah, hey, look, that's it. You know, that's right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's right. And so I said, I said to somebody today, they said, who are you going to go and interview for your podcast? He said, my brother from another mother who's now a sister from another mister. And they went, hey, okay, cool. Um, the other thing, I guess, is like, and you know, we in the cappuccino on this, but. Uh, the day of reckoning's come, you're in the uh, the pine, so to speak, and you're on your way out, and you can hear your own eulogy being spoken. Yeah. What do you want people to say about Sergeant Rona Stace? Uh, rest in peace, you good dog, you. Boom. Yeah. I, 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 I have a great affinity with dogs. I think I might have been a dog in a past life. So? Yeah. I actually wanted to be a, a police dog. Yeah. But obviously, I didn't meet the prerequisites so oh, to be a police yeah. constable yeah, instead. Exactly. Yep. I, I could never be a dog handler because because I'd let the dog drive oh, well, yeah. while I stuck my head out the window. Yeah. Yeah. You know. I, and I, I'm the same. Yeah. You hurt my dog and yeah, yeah all sorts. Yeah. And I guess so the other that's, thing that's all I'd like is that you're a good dog. Yeah, well no, done. There's nothing wrong with that. And Rest I, in peace. <laughs> the other thing I meant to ask you about <laughs> before we end is your poetry. Oh yeah. Your love of poetry. Where's that come from? Because I know your mum's a children's author. Yeah. Um, but haiku in particular, is, let's be honest, that's not the stock standard, is it? Well, I don't know. Um, it's sort of, it's kind of got a little bit of a pop culture status haiku. I mean, you watched Hunt for the Wilder, Wilder People, didn't I did, you? I did, yeah. I did, yeah. Um, but um, uh, my mum, my mum and, and my dad really are responsible for bringing me up to be a reader and interested in literature. Yeah. Um, mum in particular, especially with the poetry side of things. I studied English at university. I spent about five years getting about half a BA, most of which was English papers. I learnt quite a lot at university. Some of it was even on the curriculum. Yeah, bless. Um, And and then I set that aside to pursue a police career. And I kind of, I think part of the whole 
you know, adopting the male role thing and it was throwing myself headlong into police work, but also putting aside some of the softer aspects of my personality. Just, they just got shoved in the closet as well. So um, when I started dealing with my gender identity stuff and, you know, I started actually reassessing, you know, what things I wanted to do and who I was and, and all the rest of it, I, I developed an interest in painting little art canvases with little aspirational sayings on them. And, and it was my mum said, well, instead of d doing that, you should write haiku on them. And I thought, ah, oh, that sounds like too much hard work. I just copy someone else's stuff. But the idea stuck in my head. <laughs> and eventually I looked up what haiku were. I, I sort of knew what they yeah. were, but I thought, well, they're going to do this, do it properly. So find out what the, what the deal is with haiku. And... Uh, thought, oh, I could give that a go. And one thing just sort of led to another. And then after a period of time, the damn things were just falling out of my head. Um, and I was writing them down all the way along. And eventually it got to the point where I said, geez, I've got a few of these. I probably should do something with it. And um, and so hence I've um, self-published the, the, uh, the, the book that's so on uh, Amazon. Take the opportunity, plug the book. Yeah, so I've written a book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my goodness, really? No, it's, yeah, a, it's a collection of um, haiku, which yep. I've grouped into groups of three. So I, I, I call them triptych after the, the art form triptych. So they work together. And it's called Nine Lines, and it's for sale on Amazon. Uh, New Zealand customers, they can get that from my Etsy shop or from me on Trade Me um, for 20 bucks delivered because... Um, you know, Amazon's delivery prices to New Zealand are yes, uh, yep. pretty steep. Um, so to bypass that, I've um, for New Zealand customers, I've I've ordered a bunch that I can send to them directly. It's cheaper that way. Yeah. I'm also uh, got palms in um, hundred best hooked on haikus okay. for yep. 2018. That's also available on Amazon, and I've got a palm that's been selected for the 2018 New Zealand Poetry Society's. Um, anthology and that's a really nice because that poem's called green tea and green tea is a poem i wrote as a direct response to a book of poems that a relative of mine gave me which is uh, the collected works of his mother jeanette stace right and uh it's yeah. got to be a relative and and that was a very nice uh, gift it was michael stace gave me that book and um, and I read it, and it was so inspiring. It's actually formed the inspiration for my second collection, which I've tentatively entitled Tea for Two. Nice. So it was really really pleasing to uh, recognize, uh, you know, for that um, legacy to sort of be recognised, and in that poem being selected for inclusion in the anthology this year. Are we going to see a website shortly? I don't know. Yes. I'm sort of still getting to grips with this social media interwebby stuff, yeah. to be honest. Yeah. You know, I think I've done pretty well to publish a book on Amazon and set up an Etsy shop. I, don't know, I think I might go and have a cup of tea oh, yeah. and lie down now and <laughs> maybe think about that later. Uh, absolutely nothing wrong with that. <laughs> so, for the end of this cappuccino, Sergeant Ronis Dace, thank you very much for your time. Uh, thank you much, very much, Lee, for one, enlightening uh, other police officers, because I know you've been doing lots of training. Uh, not just police officers, though, other human beings as well, who I know have seen your story in the newspaper and gone, wow. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much. My pleasure. <laughs>
How I wonder what you are.